This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. My, my brief today is to sort of highlight five steps or attitudes that we could adopt that might make a difference or even a slight dent to South Africa's unemployment problem. So that's what I'm going to try and do. And so let's start by just putting this whole business in perspective. How bad is the problem? Well, South Africa has always had very high levels of unemployment. It isn't simply a cyclical problem. It is also a structural problem. And that's very important to bear in mind. And whenever something is structural of nature, it is often a lot harder to resolve. And it requires a concerted specific interventions over many, many years in order to really, really address unemployment. And this is part of the reason why South Africa has always lived with one of the highest unemployment rates in the world. And that goes hand in hand with one of the highest levels of inequality, in fact, the highest levels of inequality in the world. So how bad is it? Well, this graph tries to illustrate it by looking purely at how our employment sort of compares to the rest of the world. This data comes from the World Bank. All the green bars are a little bit deceptive and they are the values for the unemployment rate in those countries during 2019. As you know, just for the US, it has edged up to about 5, 5 5.5%. And at one point, it went over 10% in the middle or in in the midst of the COVID-19 storm and the complete shutdown of the world economy in April last year. So all of those numbers are higher, but I think the point to make is that they're nowhere near South Africa. South Africa in the final quarter of last year registered a narrow unemployment rate of 32.5%. So if we say narrow, what do we mean by that? Well, it excludes all discouraged workers. Now, there's over 2 million discouraged workers. Discouraged workers are people that have been looking for work so long that they've largely given up. And in many cases, they have become unemployable because they've been unemployed for such a tremendously long period of time. If you add them to the equation, then South Africa's broad unemployment rate is over 40%, which is truly frightening if you think about it. You can break it down and, 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 from, and look at it from different angles. Today, we don't have the time for that, but I can tell you in the case of youth unemployment, it's even worse. We are talking about an unemployment rate of well over 50%. So that is really indicative of how the economy has failed to meet the needs of the bulk of the population. And we are not succeeding. It's almost like we have two economies. We have one economy where people are employed and people are earning an income. They are doing the bulk of the spending in this economy. And then you have a very large part of this economy that is simply excluded. And for these individuals, life has not gotten better. And COVID made things a lot worse. And lockdown made their conditions and their fate even worse. So what do I think we need to do in South Africa? And that's really what this presentation is about. And that's what we're going to try and focus on. Sometimes we want to come up with new and grand schemes. But I think really that South Africa's biggest failing is not being able to get the basics right. Just doing the basics right 
will already make an enormous difference to A, the investment environment, confidence towards South Africa, and ultimately that will attract and slowly attract foreign capital, attract a bit of investment, and get South Africa growing again. So never underestimate the basics that needs to be put in place for the economy to actually even be an attractive proposal to begin with. But I think one of our biggest problems, and if you look at all government's plans, one state of the nation address after the other, is that we don't acknowledge, and it's not just government, it's also business, it's also labor, very importantly labor, that in South Africa we need to create jobs for the labor force we have, as opposed to the one we wish we had. And this is a quote from Anne Bernstein, who has done a tremendous amount of work on how can you get and resolve South Africa's very deep-seated and and really tragic unemployment problem. And I think that is a fair statement. If you look at at the State of the Nations address, there is talk of us introducing coding at school. And yet we know that most of our pupils do not have basic numeracy and they do not have basic literacy. So that's where you start. You start with the basics. Then everything else will follow quite easily. That's how the cognitive process works. So, and we have this emphasis on the 4G economy, the fourth industrial revolution. We're now at 5G, so it just keeps moving forward and forward. And again, that's not a realistic option for South Africa because we do not have people that can be absorbed in those industries. It will only be the highly skilled and highly educated that will find gainful employment in robotics, in coding, and all forms of electronic engineering and so forth. And the reality is that the bulk of our population and our labor force is in fact unskilled or semi-skilled. And those are the sorts of jobs we need to create. Right. So I think that's the first reality check that needs to sink in. And it needs to do so both in government, both in business and both in labor. Right. The second thing we need, as I said before, is we actually need economic growth. I mean, you cannot actually move forward if you do not have economic growth. Now, this graph shows you South Africa's actual GDP in rand trillions. In other words, this is the absolute value of goods and services produced in South Africa from 1994. And you can see that we initially had quite a slow start. Then we got hit by the emerging market crisis. Then we had a fantastic spell, and so did the rest of the world between 2000 and 2008. And then, of course, from around September 2008 onwards, the global financial crisis struck. And then we slowly started to move higher, not at nearly the same pace before. A bit of the part of the boost we got from 2010 onwards was, of course, that once-off hosting of the Soccer World Cup, which injected some confidence, exposed South Africa to the rest of the world, and then we started to mess things up. We didn't lose momentum accidentally. We lost momentum because of destructive interventions. It ranged from the initial mining charter to all the visa requirements that we put on that virtually strangled tourism, which was one of our growing industries. We literally fell into a deep hole because of the mismanagement of state-owned enterprises, which ultimately resulted in the rising cost 
and unreliable nature of all state-owned enterprises and the economic infrastructure they provide. The most damaging of that has undoubtedly been the energy crisis that we've been dealing with since 2008, and uh, and we are still dealing with. Nothing's been resolved. And as a result of that, our growth started drifting sideways. We entered a downswing in December 2013, and we've remained in that downswing. And you can see what COVID did, especially level five lockdown in April. It just literally destroyed economic activity. The economy shut down. And we actually, in terms of the value of production, destroyed over a decade's output. And we went back to the levels that prevailed in 2010. Then, of course, from the third quarter, we did see a recovery. That continued, albeit at a slower pace, in the final quarter of last year. And we're now back to around 2014 levels. Obviously, in this sort of environment where you stuck in the longest economic downswing since recorded history, which started in 1945, and you just continued to slide, you're not going to create jobs. So our first priority should be to restore economic growth. Now, as I said, COVID no one anticipated, but the slowdown that occurred prior to COVID really was the result of very poor policy choices, rising corruption, rising cost of production, the failure of state-owned enterprises. Why is that important? Because they provide the bulk of economic infrastructure that the private sector has to use in order to produce their goods and in order to transport their goods from the factories to the markets. So the reality is that this is the things, these are the factors that we need to address if we want to successfully kickstart this economy. So if you have a look at this, this shows our economic growth rate. This is the year-on-year -year growth rate, also going back to 1994. The shaded areas are, again, your economic downswings. And you can see that a recovery has started. We bounced back from the dismal outcome of uh, the second quarter of last year, and we have slowly started to move again, although we remain firmly in negative territory. We ended last year with the economy shrinking by 4.2% on a year-on-year -year basis. So it grew over the quarter, but it was still down compared to the levels that prevailed in 2019. We have to turn this around. You're not going to have job creation in this kind of environment. The other thing that matters, and I know this will be difficult for many people to swallow, is profits. Profits matters. If companies make profit, they have the ability to actually firstly employ people, pay their salaries. It's such an obvious thing to say. And at the same time, though, and more importantly, confidence lift. They start to look at the future. If the economy is growing, their profits are growing. And they start to anticipate that demand at some point might outstrip their capacity to supply. And doing that, they take preemptive action and they expand their operations. And that act of expansion of fixed investment activity is ultimately the act that creates employment. Right. And as you can see, we are again in a terrible situation as far as that's concerned. All, all industries saw a very sharp decline in value added. Some industries still managed to record profits at the end of last year, but their profits were down anything between 65 to 85%.
So again, that doesn't appear to be very optimistic for job creation, particularly not in the short term, because the first thing firms will have to do now is restore their profitability to ensure that they stay alive. They don't have the luxury government has. They can't just go and raise taxes if they in a spot of bother. They actually have to maintain a profitable company. So they're first going to restore profitability before they are going to consider actually employing people. So that's the other thing that matters. And then finally, the combination of, of, of a growing economy, even if that growth is not spectacular, and rising profitability will result in the key item we need for job creation, which is, of course, fixed investment. Now, fixed investment has been decimated. It has absolutely been decimated. Here I show you in Rand value where we are standing. We have fallen back to the levels that prevailed in 2006 in absolute terms. So it is absolutely horrific. Even though fixed investment started to recover, you can see it didn't recover nearly as convincingly as the rest of the economy. In fact, that recovery is negligible for all intent and purposes. So the reality is that fixed investment is the thing we have to turn around. And it is at exceptionally weak levels. Now, government has started under President Ramaphosa to put together these investment conferences. They want to attract new investment to South Africa, both private sector investment. They're also talking about an infrastructure drive. But the truth of the matter is that those values are simply too small to really make a meaningful difference to fixed investment levels and employment creation. What you need is an, a, broadly, a broad environment that is supportive of economic growth, that is supportive of investment, that contains a favorable fixed investment environment, which means what? You've got certainty around things like property rights, around things like intellectual property rights, around things like energy supply, transportation, and the list goes on, regulation, legislation. And if you have certainty, then you will attract fixed investment. And then you will create an environment where the broader private sector will start to expand operations. And that is what is needed to create jobs. So just to show you, that even though the private sector has not really been growing fixed investment, up until COVID, the private sector has at least maintained their level of capital expenditure. The main drag on this economy came from the implosion in fixed investment activity or infrastructure investment by state-owned enterprises. So your ESCOMs, your transnets, your state-owned enterprises, they are the drag on this economy. Now, of course, with COVID, everything imploded, and we need to start to fix that. But of course, the next thing that we need to resolve, and my fourth point that I want to highlight, is that we cannot grow without electricity. It's just not possible. So this should be an absolute priority. Everything should be done to change legislation to allow more producers outside of ESCOM to enter this market to speed up the process of awarding bids for renewable energy and literally to allow embedded generation to occur. Now, two years ago, we were told that these things will be done, and yet they have not been done.
So bureaucracy is the other thing that we need to get rid of. Red tape is the other thing we need to streamline, and especially within government's administrative processes, because electricity isn't a luxury, it's an essential. You can't expand your operations if you don't have it. And if you don't expand your operations, what good reason would you have to employ more people? So those are the basics. But there is a broader picture here as well. And this is my last point. And that is that South Africa has a long and painful history that have contributed very dramatically to our unemployment situation. The first one is apartheid itself, the legacy of exclusion. And in the case of South Africa, it is not the minority that was excluded. It is, in fact, the majority of the population. And that means that we have huge deficits, huge backlogs in education, in skills and training, and just simple know-how, how to run a business, how to start a business, how to work with your finances, basic skills. We have huge backlogs, and it's the result of years and years of discrimination and exclusion. And obviously, we were never going to reverse that damage of over 100 years in simply 25 years. But we do need to start to systematically address it. And I'm not convinced that over the last 10 years in particular, that we have made or implemented the interventions needed to do that. So firstly, we need a different type of growth. We need less of a capital intensive type of growth, the type of growth South Africa has always had, and more of a balanced environment where you have both capital intensive industries and labor intensive industries coexisting and flourishing. And an obvious example of that would be tourism. Right now, tourism isn't much of an option, isn't it? Because very simply, you know, we're sitting in COVID. We don't know when international travel will normalize. We don't know what levels of red tape will be involved in order to facilitate that. And our ability to rejuvenate our tourism industry is a function of how quickly we can roll out vaccines. And our progress, as far as that's concerned, has been nothing short of shocking. Ghana, a country with a fraction of our capacity and healthcare system, have done more than we have. Rwanda, equally, with a fraction of our healthcare capacity, have rolled out vaccines faster than we have. So tourism depends on us getting our act together and and really putting COVID-19 behind us and defeating it. That will attract people back to South Africa, and it will lift the ban on, on movement of South Africans to the rest of the world. So that's one option. Agriculture is another option. And yes, land reform is an element of, of that. But there are ways to do land reform. There are destructive ways and there are constructive ways. And these are well documented. They're not mysteries. And perhaps we should start taking the good advice. Then there's our edu education system, which is simply failing thousands of children, which is just not acceptable. We're still dealing with heavily overcrowded schools, you know, poorly staffed and also, of course, bad infrastructure. And, and these things have to be fixed. That's the basics. You can't talk about coding and the fourth industrial revolution when people cannot count and they cannot write. And then, of course, our labor laws. Our labor laws clearly benefit those that are employed. 
So that's legislative changes that needs to occur. And then we have got significant barriers of entry. We do not have enough entrepreneurship in South Africa in order to get small businesses going. And we know that small businesses are a major job creator. And then finally, of course, these are all the things that have contributed to unemployment. So systematically, we should be dealing with all of these things. They are legislative. They are around education and training. They are around infrastructure for education and training. And finally, they are around not trying to pick industries that you think should be growing, but creating an environment for those industries that where an individual can see the benefit, can see the profit, that environment has to be as favorable for them as it would be, for example, for the industries that government has targeted. So that would be my final piece of advice in terms of how to address employment. So we've got to get growth going. We've got to accept the reality of the type of labor force we have to. Government has to stop trying to pick winning industries and just create a very attractive, business-friendly environment and regulate in a smart and constructive way so that you deal with anti-competitive practices, you enable a level playing field, and you reduce barriers to entry. And then education, focus on it, fix the errors. We've had 25 years and we've done very little. Hopefully in the next 25 years, we can show some progress. Thank you. That's all from me. Nikki, thank you so much for that. Extremely interesting. We've got time just for one question from myself and just a, a relatively short two-minute answer would be great. My question is, I hear everything that you're saying and it, and it all makes sense. And this will, I guess, lead into very nicely our, our next presenter. But, yes. But how, in, in your opinion... Of course, what's absolutely critical, and, and Cyril and the government have announced all their, their great plans, but I guess my question to you is, one, do you think that they can actually implement these things, which is going to be critical? And can you just give a rough estimate? So currently, this unemployment is sitting at about 11 million people in South Africa. If, if these plans get implemented, and your suggestions happen to a degree, realistically, over what sort of period of time can unemployment drop from the 32% down to, let's call it even 20%? Is it three years, five years, 10 years? And, and do you think that we can get to those type of levels and even get it down to 15% in time? Can you just give us an idea of if we implement these yeah. things, where, where are we aiming for? Okay, so let's say you take the market consensus on GDP growth, because we do that. We put in our forecast and see what the impact will be on employment. And then we took it, take the market consensus and we see what the impact is on employment. If we grow broadly in line with what the market is currently anticipating, we will only get back to 2019 levels of unemployment, which was about 29%, if you recall correctly by 2024. So to get back to 21%, I think will take at least 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that's not a great picture, but I think I agree with you. I think it's a realistic picture, but yeah. 
with lots and lots of challenges and hard work ahead, I guess. Nikki, thank you very, very much for your time. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.